0: My name is David Porter. I am the author of Five Minutes to Live. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to this podcast. Uh, Just a few things to to note. Um, In the description of the podcast, I've got the purchase link if you want to purchase Five Minutes to Live. I've also got my Facebook and Twitter links so you can find me. I'd love to hear from you. I'll interact with you. Um, the, The purpose of this podcast, we are reading through Five Minutes to Live, chapter by chapter, releasing a new chapter each week. And I release them on Tuesday mornings at 7 a.m. Central Time. Now, if you're here and you haven't started with the prologue, episode number one, go back, start there, or you're going to be completely lost. Please set the alert notification, whatever that looks like, on your podcast of choice, so that when the new episode is released... It alerts you now one other thing five minutes to live has a lot of footnotes there are a lot of scientific references and a lot of Bible verses in each episode I'll list all of those footnotes so you'll have them you can go back and research read about the people read about the articles read about the science and read the Bible verses finally I've got a new book that I've finished writing it's called 60 seconds of silence It's not out yet, but as soon as it is, I'll go back and list the link so you can purchase it in the description of each episode as well. Now, with that, thanks for being here. Let's get to it. Chapter 25. The Azrieli Serona Tower was an incredibly beautiful building during the day, and I didn't think anything could surpass the initial impression I had of it when I arrived via cab the day before. I was mistaken. The view of the building at night was mesmerizing. In a perfect world, Jessica and I would be driving up to this building in our own Range Rover, holding hands and looking at the beautiful expanse before us. The building stretched 782 feet above ground and at night, with the glass reflecting the city lights, it was probably the second most beautiful thing in Israel. Jessica was by far the most beautiful thing, even through her tears, through her hurt, through her pain, through her loss. Jessica must have seen the way I was looking at her and at the building and said, I used to love coming here, being here, but now I don't know how I can face being in the building knowing Nuria is dead. And then she added something completely unexpected. She added, and it's your fault. In fact, I don't know if I can be around you anymore. I think I'm going to need some space. So let's get in, get the research, and then get you to a hospital or to Massad. I'll figure something out. She's not dead because of me or because of you, for, for that matter. I, she She's dead because of Omar Khalid, period, I said a little too forcefully for the moment. You don't know what you're talking about. You're a little boy pretending to play with the grown-ups. This is the big leagues, Matt, and you're not ready for it. And it cost Nuria her life. You stepped up to the plate and struck out, and it cost Nuria everything. It cost Nuria her life. I lost my friend because of you. You're the one who practically told the bad guys to go to her house, question her, and kill her. That was so stupid. How could you be so stupid? I thought I knew you better than that. Jessica was practically screaming at me. She opened the door of the Range Rover, crawled out, and slammed the door. Hard. It was loud, and the big, boxy truck rocked on its tires. I already felt horrible. I already blamed myself. I just sat there for a moment. Stunned. Sad. Suddenly, the driver's door swung open and Jessica was again standing there. She barked, Are you coming? Or are you planning on how you're going to get me killed, too? On second thought, just wait here. And she slammed the door again. Jess, wait, I shouted as I opened the door and tried to get my stiff body working again. I had my hands full phone, lipstick, and wallet so I put the stuff back in my pockets and realized there was something else in there in my pocket. With my one empty hand, I closed the door to the Range Rover and tried to catch up. I realized I was carrying the backpack in the other hand. It was cumbersome, so I slung it on my shoulders. Jessica just kept walking. Please, Jessica, wait on me! But she never slowed her pace. We made our way into the lobby area and passed the electronic directory, with Jessica several yards ahead of me. There was no one, not even the guards at the security desk, but I guessed at this time of night there were probably very few people in the building at all. The guards must be doing a routine security sweep. She rounded the corner to the elevators, and I was just a few seconds behind. I said, "'You're not alone, Jessica. We've both lost someone, and you're you're not alone in this.' "'Just stop it, Matt.' You're only making things that much worse. Just leave me alone. I want to be alone. Stop talking. I pressed the call button and Jessica said, Dang it, I don't have my badge. We'll need to wait for the security guard to come back or we can take the stairs. Defeat and agitation rang through her voice. I said, Not that it really matters right now, but I'm definitely not in any condition to take the stairs. We could use my visitor's badge if, if it still works. When I was getting out of the Range Rover, I had felt the visitor's pass in my pocket as I put Jessica's phone back in place. I pulled out the pass I had taken from the building yesterday. It seemed that I had accidentally forgotten to return it before I got in the taxi that Nuria had called for me. I decided to try and get Jessica's mind off of Nuria while we waited on the elevator, so I asked her. I keep hearing about the keys. What are the keys and what do you use them for? Different people have told me that we need, to, we need these keys to access your research. Even the evil Omar said it a couple times. I was told that I have the keys. What are they? Is it something on your phone? Jessica, frustrated that I wouldn't be quiet and leave her alone, said, Did you go in my office when you were here? I nodded, and she continued. Did you notice my laptop was bolted to the desk? Again, I nodded. She said, One of the keys is to unlock the computer from the workstation. It looks like a normal desk, but it's actually a brand new one that Dr. Kaplan recently had installed. It's reinforced titanium, and the whole desk is bolted to the floor. That computer isn't going anywhere unless it's unlocked. Wow! Wow! Why do you need a reinforced titanium desk and computer holder? And do I have the key? What are the keys? I asked. Acting like she didn't hear me, or at least ignoring me and changing the subject, Jessica asked, Do you still have my lipstick? I dug into my pocket and pulled out the little silver tube. She said, Have you opened it up? Trying to lighten the mood, I said, No, I decided I wouldn't wear makeup on this trip, so I didn't check to see if that shade was going to match my outfit. I smiled a childish grin and immediately realized that was the wrong thing to do. The wrong thing, she said. Well, look, genius. I popped off the cap and inside was a normal-looking bullet of lipstick, a dark maroon color. Twist it, she said. I twisted the tube and something surprising happened. It turned out that the bullet of lipstick was a perfectly camouflaged key. As the tube was twisted, the key pressed up through the lipstick so that the key was usable. She added, When Dr. Kaplan ordered the desk, he also ordered the lipstick key. Both of them are made of titanium. That's why the lipstick looks a lot better than our phones do. Or your face. I twisted the lipstick closed, put the cap back on, and put it back in my pocket. "'Okay, what about the other key?' I asked, ignoring the comment about my face. She said, "'It's a key for the software. I gave you a clue about it in my voicemail. Did you get my voicemail? Did you even listen to it?' The elevator arrived with a ding, and we stepped in. I placed the battered visitor pass on the pad, and Jessica said, "'You get the next elevator. Get out.' I need some time alone. I need some space. She pushed the button to the 47th floor. It caught me a little off guard and I was speechless. I started to protest, but instead just nodded and stepped back out of the elevator. I could give her the couple of minutes of peace and quiet it would take for the next elevator to come pick me up. Jessica turned to the wall so she wouldn't have to see me or look me in the eye. Killer. I heard her whisper as the doors to the elevator started to close. Instantly, that made me mad. A fever rush boiled under my skin and I exploded. I didn't kill her, you! But by then, the elevator doors had closed and Jessica couldn't hear anything I was saying. It was probably a good thing that I didn't have the opportunity to finish that sentence because it wouldn't have been appropriate. Jessica was in pain and projecting it onto me. I stood there. Stunned and physically hurting, now I was hurting emotionally as well, hurting for my friend and hurting because she was blaming me. This is one of those things that would blow over. She's just hurt and venting. Am I going to be blamed for this for forever? Are things between me and Jessica, romantically speaking, over just as they're getting started? I stood there looking at the empty lobby. I'd been standing in this same spot yesterday, but things with me were so different now. When I showed up here yesterday, I didn't know what was going on, who was after me, where I was going, who I needed to talk to or anything. But it was more than that. I didn't know who I was, what I was capable of. I didn't recognize the power that dwells within me and certainly had never recognized the voice of God as he communicated with me. As I stood there looking at the lobby and bank of elevators, I began to realize what I had become. Yesterday, I was afraid. Today, I am confident. Yesterday, I was lost. Today, I know where to go. Yesterday, I was alone. Today, I have Jessica again, uh, sort of. Yesterday, I thought I was in this all by myself. But as I stand here in the lobby, I've realized that the Lord has been with me this whole time. He is still with me. He sticks closer than a brother and will never leave or forsake me. He continues to talk to me. I waited a couple minutes and then pushed the elevator call button and stood there, trying to calm my mind down. After a few minutes, the same elevator that Jessica had taken returned and the doors opened. I stepped in, placed the battered pass against the card reader and pressed the button for the 47th floor. The doors closed and the quick ride was underway. Lord, please fix this. I need your help. On the inside, deep down, I heard the words, a command, Use your authority. I recognized God's voice. I was familiar with several biblical scriptures where Jesus referenced his authority in different scripture verses where he transferred that authority to those who follow him. He even said that in his name, he gives us authority to conquer the power of the enemy. That makes me his authorized representative. I decided to finally act like it. Standing in the elevator, I said, In the name of Jesus, enemy, Satan, and strife, leave us alone. I speak the peace of God. Proclaim it and demand it in this situation and to Jessica specifically. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. So go in Jesus' name. Then again, on the inside, deep down, I heard two more words—a name, Terry Mize. I was familiar with the name, but then I felt the elevator slowing as I reached the forty-seventh floor. I began to ask the Lord, "What about Terry Mize? What does?" The doors opened with a ding, and I stepped off and turned towards Jessica's office. Terry Mize have to do. To my surprise and horror, I was standing face to face with Omar Khalid. He had a gun. It was pointing at me. Down on her knees, kneeling beside Omar, was Jessica, bleeding from the left eye. She had a handprint across the left side of her face where Omar had obviously viciously slapped her. Omar was holding Jessica in place with a handful of her hair pulled tight from the top of her head. Any movement she made just pulled the hair tighter. It looked incredibly painful, and with every flinch that she or Omar made, it made her gasp audibly. "'Good to see you again, madam,' Omar said, looking down at Jessica, in a tone mocking his driver cover story from two nights ago. He then barked in my direction. "'Don't try anything!' Or I will shoot the both of you in the kneecaps and leave you here lying in a pool of your own blood. And for your sake, Terry Mize, whoever that is, better not be on his way up. Pointing the gun at Jessica, he continued Matt, take out the gun you stole from me and place it on the floor of the elevator. Then send it back down to the lobby. I pulled the gun out of my waistband and set it on the floor of the elevator. I moved in slow motion, which was partly due to what Omar had said to me and partly due to how stiff and horrible my muscles were feeling. Leaning in, I pressed the button to the lobby and stepped out of the doorway. It seemed that you didn't need the visitor's pass to send the elevator down, which is why I had forgotten to return it the day prior. I only used it once when I went up to the lab, not as I was headed back down. Uh, Omar, why are you doing this? I asked. Why are you trying to steal this research? Why? What would your father think? Or was all of that a lie as well? Did your father actually die a hero? Or were you just playing me this entire time? I saw the pain as you were talking about him. What would he think of you right now? Omar smiled, gleaming a knowing smile, and said, Matt, Every word I said to you was true, and my father would be pleased with every action I have made, everything I have done the past three days, because these last few days are the culmination of a lifetime of work, two lifetimes worth of work. I am not going to be denied. No one can stop us. Confused, I didn't know exactly what to say, so I just stood there looking at him. I felt betrayed on so many different levels. We had shared the pain the losses of our fathers caused and connected in a way that was deeper than just surface level. Now he was telling me it was all true, but it just couldn't be. How could his father have been a hero in this country and now be proud of the actions of his son? Omar dropped the handful of hair he had been holding, and Jessica immediately crashed to the floor. She was crying tears of pain and tears of remorse. Get up! Omar hissed at her. Omar marched us down a hallway and then, following the exit signs, turned left. We turned the corner and found ourselves in a hallway that was twice as long as the first. This hallway came to an end with two choices. Turn left again and keep walking along, a hallway that was parallel to the first, or continue forward, entering a door to a stairwell. All along the two hallways that I had seen, sitting on the floor next to the walls were devices connected by strands of multicolored wires. I had seen dozens and dozens of the devices as we neared the end of the hallway, and I'm sure there were just as many along the other main corridors. Omar leaned over, and clicked a button on the last device in the line. There was a beeping noise as he entered a quick code, and then 0500 showed in red on a little screen. A timer. Omar seethed. You remember these from the helicopter, don't you, Matt? I nodded. Those were in the boxes that go boom. The helicopter had been almost completely full of large plastic crates, and each crate could probably have held a dozen or more of these explosive devices. Omar continued, You have five minutes to bring me Dr. Adams's research computer. Completely unlocked. I know you have the keys. Everyone has said so for the past two days. Omar reached in his pocket and pulled out a long cylindrical tube with a red button at the end. If you try anything clever, I have a dead man's switch. You know what that is? If I let go of this button, he said as he held up his injured hand that was holding the cylindrical tube. With his thumb, he was pressing a button on the end of the tube. It doesn't matter what the timer says. This place goes boom and people will be picking bits of you out of their hair and off their cars for weeks. You want to be long gone before the boom, understand? One last mission, Matt. The ultimate mission. Get to the computer and find the research. Unlock it. Bring it to me on the roof. Save the girl. You've got five minutes starting. Wait, I shouted. Know this, Omar. Mark my words. You might not realize it, and I'm sure haven't been walking in it, but I have authority in this situation. I've had authority since day one. Turning away from Omar, I continued the thought, praying. Lord, forgive my ignorance. Turning back to Omar, I finished my thought. I will get the information, the computer, and have it unlocked when I get to you. But you will not shoot her. You will not shoot me. No weapon turned against us will succeed. Do I make myself clear? Omar just laughed, a maniacal laugh. Hatred in his eyes, devil in his heart. You've got five minutes left, Bible boy, starting now. He pressed a button on the explosive device and the timer started clicking, counting down backwards. Then towards Jessica, Omar shouted, to the roof! Go! They started running, and I clicked the stopwatch feature on my wristwatch. End of chapter 25. If you're still here, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that reading. If you want to purchase 5 Minutes to Live, the link is in the description below, and you can find my Facebook and Twitter links there as well. Drop me a line. Please subscribe and hit the bell so you know when the next chapter is released. And if you're enjoying this, please share it with your friends and family. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.